At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Business of Esports podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world and the future of fun. Please welcome your host, Paul, the esports prophet, Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now. From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul, the prophet, Dawalibi. I'm joined today by an all-star cast of friends and guests. Uh, if you're not familiar with the podcast, welcome. We are the official podcast of esports. What we do is we cover the most pressing gaming and esports topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. Uh, thank you all for showing up. This is kind of fun for us because we get to you know revisit people who have been on the podcast. We're gonna cover like a, uh, a little bit of an all-star uh, section of topics here. Before we get into it though, I want everyone to introduce themselves. Steve, maybe start with you. Quick short intros, who you are, what you do. Steve Blickensdurfer, legal, legal counsel at Crafton, uh, makers of PUBG. That's me. Hey guys, Jimmy Barada. Whoa, that's louder than I expected. Uh, Jimmy Barada over here, co-host at the Business of Esports, also an instructor of esports at the University of California, Irvine. Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Thomas. I'm director of marketing at OTK. Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay the Boss Poss. I am an executive producer and the Women in Gaming lead for Holodeck Media, and I host my own podcast, the Meta Woman Podcast. Hi, Hi everybody. My name is uh, Julian Benichu. I am Senior Director of Partnerships at Genji Esports, overseeing all of our partnerships. What's going on, everyone? Um, I am Greg Selko, uh, CEO and co-founder of Excel. So we have um, an interesting cross-section of esports teams and orgs on this 
panel, and I figure that's probably the most fun place to start. Um, I've, I've said many times on the podcast, I sort of describe this, um, this spectrum of esports orgs, where you have on one end, I'll call it like FaZe Clan, and I'm just picking on them, like the hoodie orgs, it's all about the merch. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might have like a TSM or uh, a Team Liquid, and it's all about winning. For the folks who are esports orgs employees, leaders, uh, you know, specifically Thomas, Julian, and Greg, where do you guys put your orgs on that spectrum? How do you? How are you different than everyone else? I'd, like, I'd love a little bit of the what makes OTK special, what makes Gen.G or Xset special. Uh, I'll go first. So OTK has 10 of the biggest content creators on Twitch, as well as a little bit on YouTube if you include Schlatt. Um, and the goal of OTK is to create content and bring an engaged an audience where we're bringing fans to an awesome experience and creating um, memorable events with like, for example, episodes of Schooled and stuff like that. So we, we used to have an esports team, um, but now we're completely focused on content creation and bringing in content creators that you know, are authentic and genuinely work as a group with us. Um, and we want to keep pushing the content creation space on Twitch and YouTube and continue on pioneering on that. So let's, however, we do host esports events. So we hosted an Apex uh, Invitational. We had awesome competitors going from a TSM Imperial Hal to Nick Merckx. And it was an awesome event. We were able to bring a bunch of content creators, have casters that were content creators. And then we did a League of Legends event a few weeks ago. Um, we had like XQC, all these other big streamers, some some my, former pro players, and we bridge esports more so on creating where you have that overlap with creators and bringing those creators in, creating an environment where fans that normally watch competitive esports get a unique experience with some of their favorite content creators that they watch daily, playing, competing, interacting, and it creates a lot of awesome, memorable moments. Julian, you're offended by this, right? That OTK even <laughs> calls themselves an esports org. Like, this is offensive to you as Gen G, right? Not really. <laughs> Trying uh, for some kind of drama here. I mean, look, I don't think that an esports org these days has kind of be gone beyond having just a team. Winning, as you said, is very important, but uh, that's just a part of a bigger cog. And I would even say that a lot of the teams that you talked about, like Liquid or TSM, I would say they would argue with you about their value of winning over being the hoodie org and even, you know, take 100 Thieves, the hoodie org has won the LCS uh, last split, right? So winning is definitely important, but it's not everything. Our org, I think, has a kind of a mix of it. We definitely have some teams that we put a lot of effort into. Our LCK team, we're really, uh, we have big expectations for, for example, our PUBG team. But we also like to think that our merch is really good. And on the other side of it, we also do a lot of activations for our partners. Uh, making sure that they're happy, that they can come to us with any questions they have about the space, and we're able to kind of bring to them a whole more wholesome experience. But the reason that they come to us is A, because we have winning teams, and B, because we have cool merch. It's a kind of a combination these days for most organizations, I would say. Greg, what's best, though? What makes the best business? And is that sort of where the thinking around XSET came from, around building an esports org that makes for the best business, or was there a different philosophy there? Well, I mean, if <clears throat> I was just trying to make money, maybe I'd sell like pump, you know, plumbing supplies or, you know, stocks <laughs> or something. Um, uh, by the way, you can buy business of esports stocks. You know. um, no, I mean, I think that, you know, I think the, the combination of 
you know, Exit has some fucking good esports teams. I mean, our Valorant team and our female Valorant team are, are crushing. Um, you know, but it's really about the, to me, it's about the mix of esports, culture, fashion, music, entertainment, lifestyle. And we look at ourselves as a gaming lifestyle organization first with a really good esports team. And yeah, do I think that's a better business model? I mean, we did it that way. I mean, you know, we, you know, I think I helped pioneer a lot of the stuff that, that FaZe did when I was there co-running FaZe Clan. Um, but I think with Xset, the, the, you know, there's other demographics and other people to go after. I mean, FaZe sort of has a kind of a male, like, you know, Jake Paul vibe, for lack of a better term. Xset is trying to be something that's more inclusive, more, um, you know, more, uh, more women on the team, more, more different voices and people who maybe haven't been part of gaming orgs. And so we kind of want to be a little bit of a social movement, like we're the baddest good guys on the planet kind of thing. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, Gen G has a, you know, a psychographic exit as a psychographic. So there's a definitely a opportunity for building culture and the esports teams. Yeah, they got to win. But then there's a different style and, and lifestyle um, that's sort of projected. But I mean, we do a lot of stuff with Gen G. We do a lot of mm -hmm. stuff with the other orgs. So, Absolutely. you know, it's it's got it's we got to all work together to build a, a larger community. It will be my goal by the end of this to create some kind of drama between you guys. Um, let's drill down into the games a little bit in the business of the game selection uh, when we're talking about esports. Because I've heard League of Legends, I've heard, heard Valorant, I've heard Apex. Um, Steve, what, why, why are we all not talking about PUBG? I don't, I, well, <laughs> it, it's probably because we're, we're uh, geographically, uh, okay. right? Uh, so PUBG has a lot of traction outside of North America. Uh, um, and it's growing, you know, it, obviously it was popular here and it still is, but compared to other parts of the world, it's popular elsewhere as well. So when you ask about esports in another country, you might get a different answer as to what are the games that people are watching uh, and on what platforms. So if you are in a developing country, you might get a mobile first title, you might get Battlegrounds Mobile India. Uh, you might get uh, PUBG Mobile um, or New State, uh, which are all titles that uh, uh, relate to PUBG and Crafton. Uh, so it depends on where you are, frankly. But like uh, part of the criticism of the business of esports, right? The, the legitimacy of esports as a viable, sustainable business is it's not like football, right? Football has been the same for the last hundred years. It's played the same. It's not owned by any one group. Um, PUBG is often, I find, trotted out as the example of like, look, this was super hot for, you know, a year, two years. It's all anyone was playing. It's all anyone was talking about. And then it's sort of, at least in North America, to your point, um, disappeared from the esports conversation. Um, just open to everyone. Like, what is the rebuttal to I, that? Like, how do you make esports viable? Well, well, despite, I, I, well let me just, I was just going to cap off that. It's all relative, right? I don't want to, and, and this Fair. is all my personal opinion. Um, but I think it, it, it starts from what is fun to watch as a, as a participant. And, you know, even divorced from what is fun to play. Because some people might find that PUBG is more fun to watch than it is to play. Uh, some will say the opposite. Um, same with Rocket League or some others. So I think it, for me, the answer to your question is what is fun to watch. 
good good way of thinking about it. Do you guys? Does anyone think about it the same or different? Or? Uh, <clears throat> Sorry. Go ahead, Greg. Mind if I jump in? Um, so you know my my thinking on it is you know esports and professional sports are very different, right? I think part of why things like the uh, you know Overwatch League and Call of Duty uh, was a model that I don't believe in, where you know they basically said, hey. You know, this is going to be just like a regional sports team. You buy a medallion, you own, you know, you have protection, you own the, the you own the rights, you have to make up some, some IP and, and it's just really hard to do because the reality is that football has been played for a hundred years or whatever, 85 years, baseball is well over a hundred years. You know, you have these multiple, multiple generation families that have grown up like, I love the Yankees or I love the Lakers, you know, and it's. Well, where in esports, it's like, you know, we're not in one sport, we're in 10 sports, right? And the games are going to go up and down. And it's really about the brand that you build and what it stands for. And obviously, if a new hot game comes along, we're going to move into, move into that game and try to get the best, the best team and the best players if we like it. I mean, there's hot games that we don't like, but, you know, that fits our brand and that we like. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, not to, I know you want to mix it up a little bit, right? So, you know, I, I, I think the, I don't think the publishers have as much power as they think they do. And I think the, they, they should respect the gaming orgs more that we, you know, especially moving forward with more titles, we, we can put our thumb on the scale. If you work with us with a new, new game, give us early access. We're doing that right now at Exit. That's what, and we're going to actually be sort of part of setting up the league and you include us. It's a much better chance that that game you just spent two billion dollars developing is going to get picked up instead of like what Activision did, which is basically said like, "Give us a shitload of money, and you know we'll tell you what to do." I mean, that's such a. I think that's kind of a hot take, Greg. Which is um, the publishers don't have as much power as they think they have. Um, what? Where do we see that power dynamic over the next five years? Like, oh, sort of open to anyone here. Do, do the publishers continue to, because today they still control a lot of the narrative. Well, let, let me just add that I'm not setting it up as sort of org versus publisher, right? I think that's been a mistake and that's, there has been a lot of that, especially, you know, I, th I remember Fortnite that we had a lot of issues with Epic when I was at, at FaZe and it just, it was not a great relationship, but we were still doing, turning out the biggest Fortnite stars and really helping the game and, that, you know, just didn't make sense to me. So I think that what I'm trying to say is maybe have a little more, uh, you know, understanding of the cultural movement that are, that are gaming orgs and work with us. And you know what? You'll probably save money on your marketing. You'll probably have a much better chance of getting a game adopted. And you'll probably learn some stuff from the people that really play the game a lot about what, what direction you should go in. So I don't think it has to be a war, but I think that, that some of the publishers need to recognize that, you know, just taking all the chips and going home ain't going to work. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, publishers need to understand that the best way to work with creators, esports teams, esports players, is it's a symbiotic relationship. If one or the other aren't aligned on the vision, the brand, the perception of the game, of the esport goes down. When everyone's working together, everyone's trying to create a positive environment where every, you know, telling those stories, amplifying these communities, that's where people are naturally drawn to. So like you pointed out, you know, I think Overwatch League has really succeeded in the geographic area, but has failed on the level of delivering to the teams what they initially promised. And I think publishers like, for example, uh, Ubisoft and Rainbow Six, which you guys are doing with Xset, like you can get the, get the skins, same thing with, um, when they work together, 
they create better opportunities for everyone to grow and get invested in the brands, which just helps everyone. It's a win-win. So it's, I think the best publisher, this is the smartest marketers, smartest people behind those publishing companies, when they make those decisions to work together, they'll go longer in the long run of succeeding. Thomas, let, let me push a bit though. Sure. Isn't this a bit of a double-edged sword? Like I get if it is. one of Greg's players <laughs> goes and starts playing whatever the next big shooter that comes out is, and there's feedback to the publishers, and you know it's very symbiotic. That feels very different from like Asmongold playing the next MMO <laughs> and getting on stream and being like, wow, this is crap. Well, um, <laughs> it gives, no, you're right. It gives the opportunity for these publishers to learn and be honest and get actual feedback because a lot of these creators, a lot of these players, they have a, they have a platform and what fans think of the game is what they hear from their favorite creator or player. So if Asmund says, yo, this game is awesome, doesn't matter if the game is actually awesome. 40,000 people in his chat think the game is awesome. Same thing with BCJ, who plays for Exet Valorant. If he's on stream popping off, saying, like, this is the best patch ever, all of his fans are going to be also be like, yeah, this is a good patch. So you got to work with the players and the teams. But if you're jumping, then it is. You know, it's the game industry moves forward, esports moves. I always say the best teams are the ones that can adapt to the newest games and thrive the longest. There's a reason TSM has been around for so long. Same thing with FaZe and and Team Liquid, right? And it's also super exciting to see new brands like Xset, Gen G, within the last few years that have popped up and are making their, you know, foot in the industry. Competition is good for everyone. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GamePresents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GamePresents. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I, I, amen, brother. Um, <laughs> totally agree. Um, I, I think, you know, I know I was shitting on Activision a little bit, but I think the, the point that, I, you know, I, on the flip side of that, outside of the Call of Duty League, XSET has had one of our XSET members do the, you know, the, the trailer song for Call of Duty. We've had Ozuna, who's an XSET member, be the first musician in the mobile game. Um, and then we have Super Evan, who's a huge Warzone streamer. So it's not, it's, it's really the league that I have a problem with, not the game. Obviously, we like the game and we think that, you know, Warzone has been arguably more popular. So I think the, 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 the point is that, when you let creators get involved and when you work with people and you bring in some of the culture, like, you know, our guys have touched the, you know, the marketing and the, the uh, cultural impact, you know, through music and other elements, but they're actually authentically really good gamers as well. Then I think you, you have a much better path forward. Can we take this to its logical extreme? And this is where I love the mix on this panel. What I'm hearing is the, the relationship can be so perfectly symbiotic. Does that mean if we're doing this panel 10 years from now, all the orgs up here are now game developers and all the game developers are fielding orgs? Or like, you know, like there's this vertical integration that starts to happen because the relationship can be so symbiotic. This was exactly what I was going to jump in with because I think that the most exciting part about all of this is that it's such a multifaceted marketplace. Talk a lot about two-sided marketplaces, but within the world of teams, games, esports, fans, it's like a 12-sided marketplace. I don't think that we are at a stage where we can determine which pieces of that marketplace are going to be the ones that wind up taking over the other pieces. I think to Greg's point, a lot of the power dynamics are shifting towards teams, which are effectively modes of advertisement for the game developers themselves. I think that that power balance still rests a lot with game developers, but I think over time it's going to shift more and more into the ecosystem and with the fans and with the streamers and with all the other participants who are actually in the marketplace. Um, But I certainly think that it's going to be interesting to watch how it plays out. We're such a, I mean, come a long way in the past five years, but I think it's almost impossible to predict in the next five years which portions are going to be the ones that wind up initiating this type of vertical integration and where we end up. I mean, I would say that just to kind of add on to that, uh, for your point, I, I mean, I know it's kind of a little bit of a joke, uh, will the orgs become the publishers in some ways, but it, it does speak to something where, uh, I, I kind of agree completely with what Greg was saying in terms of, I remember when I was at WMEIMG and, and the leaders of Activision Blizzard came to try and get WMEIMG to get an Overwatch League spot. And the question kind of became like, well, what's the value for us, right? Like, where, where are we getting value here? And I think there are, we, there are maybe different opinions about where that's ended up going. But I think as an organization, 
for us, what's most important is just understanding like, hey, we're playing your game. We're, we're, we're getting creators that are playing your game. We're fielding teams. We need to have some kind of uh, back and forth where you understand that we are doing something for your game as well and that you give us the respect that we feel like is due. Now, at the same time, do I think that a, an org can make it a game? I think that's very complicated and difficult. I've, I've worked with people. I've, I've tried to make games. It's very hard. There's a lot of process of, of you know, uh, you make a lot of errors. Most games fail. It's, it's a tough bet. Um, but at the same time, I do want to just kind of mention that, like, it, you know, personally, I don't work on the competitive side that much. I work on the partnership side. Um, the one area that I could definitely see for publishers to kind of, or, or game creators to come to the table a little bit more is actually on the partnerships front. Um, they are very protective of their IP to a point that sometimes it can be very debilitating to their community, to uh, people that want to play the game, and there are different reasons for that. But in general, I would say that like uh, some public, some, but you know, some of them are doing great things. Like I'd say like a Roblox, for example, has really taken a really great step about kind of how they are incorporating. They're making sure that the way that a lot of their partnerships are incorporated makes sense and they're good, but they're not completely saying no, nothing. Um, so for me, at least on the, you know, on the business side, I think that we will see an opening up where IP becomes just more accessible to a lot more partners. One, one quick thing to touch about on esports orgs in the future. I genuinely think that where the power is going to lie is actually not on the gaming, like the creating the games, but creating brands. If you look at the, you know, brand equity that a lot of these orgs have carried for brands like G Fuel, right? Or, for example, like Honda and, and Team Liquid. Maybe I don't think Team Liquid's going to be making a car anytime soon. But you're going to see a lot more orgs investing in products that their fans can use in the future. And I think creators, teams, big personality players like, you know, for example, Tifu or Nick Merckx or Timmy, right? They're going to get involved in creating these smaller brands that later on they're going to grow on the business because, you know, they're going to have a bunch of money. They're going to invest in into products similar to like David Beckham, you know? You got to create something cool. So I think some of that will go into indie games. Like people are passionate about these small platformers and who knows where the next Among Us is going to come from and make a ton of money. So it's a lot of exciting stuff that can happen in the next ten, five years. Sorry. I mean, you guys are thinking I'm joking, but I, I've heard rumors of orgs, you know, going into game development. Um, it's very so, risky. So, so quick thing for the OTK Games Expo, June 8th on twitch.tv slash Gold. We're going to be, <laughs> shameless plug, um, we're going to be, we're giving 25k to a developer that we believe that is changing, like an indie game dev. Like, it's going to be maybe not life-changing, but it's going to help them grow and create an awesome game. Uh, and then the other 25k is going to be chosen by chat, which is exciting. We're going to get the community involved. They're going to get to vote on something awesome and help invest in a game. So. Well, it makes sense because, you know, Steve, like with Crafton, you're probably spending a lot of marketing dollars on creators, I would think. And, and for the, the org guys, like after you got your chair sponsor, your automotive sponsor, and, you know, your, your mouse and a peripheral sponsor, the next big chunk of revenue, I would think, is people playing your, paying your players to play new games, right? Or to... You mean apart from the non-endemics, maybe? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I'd, I'd say that that's a big piece. Obviously, there's a lot of other revenue potentials. Birch, again, you've talked about it, is a, for a lot of orgs, actually ends up becoming a pretty big revenue potential. Um, 
or you know, you want to talk about something at PAX right now, we have a partnership with Nimble Neuron, uh, the makers of Eternal Return, and uh, we have a booth at PAX. We are representing them uh, for North America and all of their marketing efforts in North America. So that means we bring on content creators, some that are Gen G native, some that we just work with. Uh, we, have, we are going to be doing like a booth circuit, most likely. There are different ways that we are kind of helping and working with them, but that's also another way that publishers and teams or orgs can work together. It's not necessarily always, oh, are they going to make a game? Are they going to give you more equity in the league? It can also be just a straight up, hey, we're going to work together to try and promote this game. That leaves more room for streamers like Doc to create their own game development studios too. <laughs> this is true. But, but, I mean, Doc's kind of the one-man esports org, sort of, right? Or at least acts like it. He's got a full creative team that's super awesome to work with, actually. Really nice guys. So. Um, no one here knows why he got banned, right? Oh, okay. Well, I tried. I tried for all of you. That I mean, would have I... been the greatest piece of drama on this panel. <laughs> um, Steve, I want to talk a little bit about um, the future of of games a little bit, okay? And I want to shift away from pure esports here because I think everyone agrees esports is the most visible piece of the, the pie. It's what everyone talks about. It's the competitive space, but there's a huge sort of amount of opportunity beyond just pure competitive, you know, people on a stage esports. From your perspective, what do you make of people coming out and saying, Play to earn is the future of all gaming here. And where is Crafton sort of thinking about this or on that spectrum? You're at games where you play, but you could make money by playing. And there's been a few people, industry people, who have said this is the future of gaming. Um, thanks for, you know, I always enjoy listening to your podcast, Paul, because <laughs> you like to put people on the hot seat. So you've just done that to me. I can't speak on behalf of Crafton uh, on that because... From my perspective is a perspective of the legal department, right? So what do they tell us? Uh, they only tell us, uh, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, we see things uh, that are limited in scope. Uh, and so I can speak maybe generally to, yeah. the, to the industry. Um, and from my perspective, from the legal side of things, play to earn is very interesting and something I would be on the lookout for. Um, it's not going to be for everyone. Uh, I think there's going to be opportunities Maybe there's opportunities on certain platforms that lend themselves to play to earn, or maybe not. Maybe it's going to be equal whether you're on a PC console or on mobile. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting from the compliance side, I'll tell you that. One of my, my roles is, is compliance. And so what does that mean? That means uh, what, what you do, what it, does it uh, comply with various laws wherever they apply? And when you're making games, uh, you want to make games for as many people that will enjoy them as possible. Often at times that means wherever Steam is available or wherever you can distribute your games. And so that entails global laws. And so what might be uh, lawful to do in one country might not be lawful in another. And when you talk about the issue of play to earn, this is a new thing. Um, or this is entering an area, it's new when you combine it with like crypto and, and when you tie to blockchain, right? Um, it's also just hotly regulated when you talk about gambling. Is it gambling? Is it uh, games of skill? And so you get into a lot of horny issues when um, you're talking about that. It's exciting. It's, it's uh, I'd say, largely untapped. And there's lots of interest in it. 
um, at least based on my limited, again, uh, all caveats included uh, perception, um, but it's something to definitely look out for. I love it, Steve. You're such a lawyer, and we're all smarter <laughs> for it. Tom, uh, you know, put the two lawyers on the end. I, I, was, I, was, you, uh, <laughs> I was out and about a few months ago at a similar convention, and what I can say is culturally, you know, as someone who spends every single day working in media, meeting with new companies, learning what they're up to, play to earn is, you know, you hear the whispers of it here and there, you read the features. Uh, when I was out and about in San Francisco a number of months ago, it was just everywhere. It was clearly a massive shift in that direction. There were a lot of companies out in the space operating, getting the word out. So it's kind of hard, you know, because we've all been living behind a monitor for a couple of years uh, and you only get what you hear or who you meet. But when we were out in public and, you know, thousands of people in an expo hall, I could tell you the vast majority of companies that I met were experimenting or or looking at play to earn. So that's an exciting trend, I think. And forgive me for not defining that term for your audience. Play to earn to just level the playing field is that you're playing against somebody and you're or you're playing the game and you're earning as you're playing. So it's a like you're investing in a game, but you're actually I hopefully making something from it as well. Earning. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm usually earning some kind of token or crypto uh, as a consequence of your activities. Uh, you know, the last time... Business of Esports was at PAX, was before COVID hit in 2020. And I had said, and I got booed, I said, uh, Google Stadia is dead, and anyone who thinks that's the future of gaming is totally wrong. Um, where, where does everyone stand on play to earn as the future of gaming? And does anyone feel threatened by it? 
Like, does anyone feel like their organization, their activities are threatened by play to earn? Because at some point, if, if those people who are saying this is the future of gaming are right, it means everyone's just playing sort of as a job, not playing for fun anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, we're never threatened by anything. I mean, change is inevitable in this business, so... Like, we got to be on it. I was down at the crypto conference in Miami two weeks ago just to learn as much as I could. We're not doing anything yet. But I think the main problem with Play to Earn is the games fucking suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, you know, they make good games. People will look at it. But I don't, I don't think you're ever going to get. There are people that it's actually helping people in the Philippines and Malaysia make money. There's guilds. There's other uh, elements of it. Some There's scammers and there's legit people. Like anything, it's, you know, we're, this is the pong of, of, of play to earn right now, right? So it's going to be a while, but I think if people make really good games, that's going to get much more adoption and more at attention. Like Axiom Infinity, you got to go through 14 levels before you can actually play and, and do stuff. So I don't even, you know, but, but I think because the focus there is on the earning, right? And yep. if they put a focus on a really good game, and by the way, you earn some money when you play it or you can use it within the economy of the game to spend the token, then, then I think it will, it will catch on. But it, it's definitely coming, there's no doubt. Yeah, so, and, oh. um, I would just say to kind of add on to that, that you know, we've been kind of talking to a lot of P2E game developers right now, and uh, I think the potential is definitely there. It's pretty huge already in, in many places, and that, um, as Greg put it, there just needs to be the right game that comes out. One good PDE game comes out, there's going to be just a flood of PDE games that come out. But I would also just want to add that I think that the concept of PDE for, for to earn crypto or coins is something relatively new and, and a hot topic. But play to earn monitors, whatever it is, I mean, that's been around for years. There are a bunch of different services where you can win a monitor just by playing CSGO all day, right? It might take two weeks but of straight playing, but you'll get there, right? So this isn't exactly a novel concept in gaming. I guess the novel concept is that it's attached to crypto and that it's directly in the game. But that I agree with. I earned that mount, that quest <laughs> I did a thousand times over in WoW. I don't know. Exactly. What, no, no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah. Ahead, so uh, OTK is not threatened at all. We actually, if if pay to win, uh, pay to earn becomes a thing, people just like in their normal day to day jobs today, you know, when they're <laughs> doing work. They're going to be listening to podcasts, music, and watching their favorite content creators. So, you know, we're not too threatened. I think it's really interesting where it's going. There's already some aspects of it in today. For example, Fortnite and Apex popular battle royales, they offer you your tokens back that you spent already on the game for the battle pass throughout the past. So basically, if you complete the battle pass, you get your money back. So it's kind of like a play to earn-ish. So I think it's going to happen. But like, like they said, the games suck. That's it. <laughs> um, I want to, again, let's, as we're continuing to evolve the conversation here, let's talk metaverse and gaming and those intersections. Um, specifically Sandbox, Decentraland, some of the metaverses that you see out there. Um, we're seeing luxury brands build presences in these metaverses. I think uh, 100 Thieves did their cash app compound in Roblox. Mm -hmm. um, are any of you guys thinking about metaverse and your brand presence there? Like, what, what are some of the thinking there uh, today? I mean, we're thinking a lot about it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're reading Listen. a lot, and we're looking at what's, what's going on, and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think the, the metaverse is a long way off still, but I think it's 
pretty cool what they're doing. Um, you know, we, we may do some, you know, experiments with sort of in metaverse, like exit related, like, you know, places to hang out or maybe some digital items. But I think it's, it's really early on, you know, and I think one of the things that, you know, is a mistake as a gaming org is just to jump into something new just because you're like, shit, I got to be there because, you know, it's Web3 or it's Metaverse or it's NFTs or it's what, whatever. You, the, the goal, the, the role of a gaming org is to provide real utility and real value to their fans. So you got to make sure that you're, you know, doing your diligence and figuring out what's going to be cool, what's going to be interesting. But in, by definition, XSET wants to always do, I mean, we have a, we have a, a partnership with a nightclub in Las Vegas, right? Where we're gaming brand and residents there like a DJ. So we always want to do stuff that's new and different, but you also want to do stuff that actually is cool and not just like shit, the metaverse is here. I better get in it. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely agree with, with Greg on the fact that we don't want to do anything that we feel is rushed or is not going to resonate. Uh, the area I would disagree though, is I personally believe that the metaverse is probably going to be here sooner than we might think, especially things in gaming move very quickly. And it already has been here, right? Like, Roblox is growing every single year, gigantic amounts. Minecraft is still super popular. Uh, the, the metaverse has been here. It just got a different name a couple of years Grand ago. Grand Theft Auto, Fortnite. I mean, that's, exactly. I, so, I mean, I guess we agree because I oftentimes say like, oh, I'm like, that metaverse is going to take a while, but the metaverse exists already. Yeah, the metaverse already exists. And, you know, you're talking about we've already worked with brands in the metaverse many times. And I we have brand deals already on the table or in things coming up in different metaverses, maybe not Sandbox or Decentraland specifically that might not have the audience built in right now, but... Uh, in one way or another, especially if you want to go right back to the Roblox, a lot. Um, every kid you meet pretty much plays Roblox these days. They will be bringing that into their adult lives. It's just how it works. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we just did a, a virtual signing uh, in, in Grand Theft Auto. We built out like a whole exit area lounge and, um, you know, T Grizzly, who's got the, is a hip hop artist to just join Exit and Grizzly Gang is his, his Grand Theft Auto crew. And He's got one of the most popular servers in the world. So we did the, you know, he, no one knew. He called, he called his, um, you know, people in the, in the squad to come in. And then he made the announcement. One of our guys was in there with him. And then we basically gave out exit hoodies. Then everyone in the game was wearing exit hoodies. Yeah. So just like pay to, you know, play to earn. Most of the metaverse games suck. Um, so you'll see OTK probably investing in like Roblox, Minecraft, all these like, servers where actually the games are enjoyable and the community's there and activating with our creators like you know having doing like you know different competitions or features that are mods or within the game you know and i think you know decentralized land and all these other things they'll they'll come around but they have a lot of a lot a big mountain to climb that already has been climbed by roblox and minecraft and all these other and gta you know and it's exciting to see, but I think it's until the games are actually fun to be in. I don't know who hell, who here has actually been in decentralized land. Anyone? <laughs> Two. Nice. Who's played Minecraft here? Let's go. So do you see my point? <laughs> um, actually, this is a perfect segue. I want to turn it over to you guys. Um, we have about, I think, 15, 20 minutes left here. 
And the best part of doing this at PAX is hopefully we're not uh, just us talking and, and we're answering some of the questions and talking about the things you guys want to hear about. So I have if prizes you questions, too. We'll give you crypto. For questions? Questions to earn. <laughs> They're earning socks. QD. Questions to earn socks. Business of esports socks. <laughs> All right. Um, so go ahead. Hi. So I launched a youth recreational esports league in my little town. And I wanted to ask you, thank you, we're very excited. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you guys want us to be doing with the youth so that they can be your employees one day or that they can be your new content creators, your new people? What can I be doing with these guys, eight to 17 years old? That's such a great question. You could come up and get a pair of socks. <laughs> oh. so, so I actually have a funny story about this. It, when I was graduating high school, my guidance counselor told me, I told her, hey, I want to work in gaming and esports. And she said, well, let's think about something more realistic. Uh, so I proved her wrong. <laughs> um, but honestly, inspire the kids to that is, this is a possible career. If you work hard and passionate enough and meet the right people and are genuine, you can get a career as a person on the back end on the business side, helping on the finance, legal. There's so many awesome routes that you can take in this space. It's just inspire them that it is possible today. And, you know, there's a lot of great um, YouTube channels, you know, great resources, people from the community in general. Well, if you reach out to them, they'll respond. I don't think anyone on this panel will probably, except for maybe... Um, right. yeah, I, I probably, I, I probably won't answer. <laughs> probably won't answer. But you know, there's deal. so many nice people in the space. If you're at a convention like this, there's staff like the Gen G booth that you know, if you talk to them, they're people. They care about the space. They want people to be a part of it. So just inspire them and tell them there's opportunities out there. I mean, yeah. we we do a lot in the collegiate and high school space with a bunch of different communities. Uh, you know, we we personally sponsor like 15 different collegiate clubs across the country. Uh, I personally hired. I think my last three hires were out of the collegiate uh, esports space. And the one thing I would say that I've noticed the most is just making sure that they kind of come. Uh, obviously, playing the game is really important, gives a lot of dedication, but there are other things that come with making an esports, right? Or, or making an esports scene, like whether it is helping to make graphics or uh, setting up the stage. Like we run tournaments all the time, and one of the most useful traits of uh, one of our coordinators is he loves to run tournaments and he just knows how to do it. And if I'm like, hey, spin up a Discord tomorrow, he can do it in 10 minutes. Um, so there are some really hard skills that you can learn, and a lot of times those just translate to other jobs as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be gaming or esports. I personally came from music. I was running concerts, and then eventually I was like, oh, you know, I really like gaming. I'm going to start go moving towards that, and I was able to take some of those skills and, and move them over. So basically just training skills, making sure that, hey, you love gaming. Maybe you love uh, making posters. Maybe you love doing that. There's ways to combine things. Lindsay, you have a thought, or? That was my exact Oh, uh, come on, Julian. That, that was to, mean. No, that no, mean. that was perfect. Um, You're not invited back. I'm sorry. On the podcast that I do, I intentionally uh, host people who are from all walks of the esports industry. Um, and that's to show that you can cultivate your love of esports while also cultivating the other skills that you might be talented at or interested in. I think it's very important to remind kids, especially, that not every kid is going to be a, a pro gamer or a streamer, and that there's about a billion different options and ways to get into the gaming industry. Um, and a lot of them tend to be non-technical for the folks out there that aren't as comfortable with those technical sides. So that's my advice to you would definitely be to allow kids to pursue the technical and non-technical paths while also cultivating their interest in gaming and keeping that alive. I'll just add one quick thing. I teach uh, esports business at St. Peter's University. 
Uh, one of the best things they've done is they invite me out once a year and they invite parents of prospective students. And I give the presentation not to the students, to the parents, <laughs> to convince them that this is a legitimate career path. And I think at that, even at that young age, convincing the parents is maybe the bigger hurdle than the students themselves. I still haven't convinced mine, so. <laughs> How many lawyers are uh, too many. Too many. Um, <laughs> um, over here, why don't we? Uh, hello. Yeah, I found the uh, conversation around play to earn to be very interesting, but I also wanted to sort of ask a, a question that may uh, help me better understand, and that is how is it different from, say, grinding in an MMORPG, like, say, RuneScape for a few hours, you know, chopping down trees, to converting that into uh, gold coins in the game and then trading that on, say, a third-party um, real-world, I mean, I guess it's against the terms, but you can still do it, you know, exchange gold coins for real-life um, money or goods. So how is that different um, in, under the, I guess, the newer sort of pay-to-earn scheme, which is using blockchain, um, which in the end ends up being sort of like a database um, framework how is it different now, and would it benefit maybe older-style RPGs and maybe, you know, sort of re or modernize them by adding a pay-to-earn concept that is fully supported by the developers? Do you think that's something they may, should explore, or do you think maybe new games and new MMORPGs will incorporate this uh, new style of, of, of using an already existing game mechanic of grinding and earning to then also add pay-to-earn um, on top of that? At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
To me, the biggest difference is intention from inception. So in games like RuneScape, those economies were able to develop because that's what their players wanted and players were able to direct it. Gamers are a notoriously finicky crowd. And so I think that when you start off with a play to earn or as the more popular kind of euphemism is play and earn, when you start with that concept from its inception, the the reception of that can be a lot more difficult to manage as opposed to things that arise naturally from the development of the game and that are led by the players themselves. Anyone else have thoughts? By the way, I only have brought two pairs of socks. I'm gonna give it to my two favorite questions, but anyone else who asks a question, come up to me later, we'll send you out a pair of Business of Esports socks. So uh, everyone who asks the question is gonna get one. Um, go ahead. So thank you guys for coming out to the panel and, and doing this session here. So my question is really around um, player development. So as a fan of esports, I find it hard to be a fan of an organization and more of a fan of a particular player. And so in terms of retaining players beyond you know, contractual obligations, what do you think orgs can do in an innovative mindset for player development, whether that's soft skill training and other things to really professionally develop the players beyond just being skilled in the game. And so I just wanna try to get your thoughts around what can orgs do to get people bought in beyond the hoodie movement and pretty cool <laughs> merch and yeah. all that, but really getting people to be behind the organization and not a particular player. I mean, I mean there's probably a lot more we can do, but. Um, I think the, you know, obviously, I guess you, XSET sells hoodies. Um, we also, you know, have great esports, but we also have a really good culture and community in the company and everyone really likes each other and we try to support each other. We, you know, we had a, I'll give you an example, like we had a, 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 you know, our female CSGO team, which we don't, they're part of G2 now, but they had, you know, they played against men and they got a lot of shit uh, in the, in the chat and they were really upset, but all the exit people got on and like really backed them up. So I think that, you know, while this is not a scientific program, having a culture where we're, we're kind of get telling everyone more important than even winning, even though we want to win, um, or generating lots of views is that we want to be, we have to be like a family and support each other and be an organization that, um, like if you come to us and say, look, you know, when I'm done, I want to be a content creator. I want to work in the, in the, in, in the business. You're going to be someone that we're going to give the first shot at that for because, you know, we've been with you from, from the beginning. Um, and then the other thing is like mental health issues is obviously, uh, you know, something. So we're looking at, you know, it's a lot of pressure, even with content creators as well. You get well known. Um, so, you know, we have a guy named Tim Story who's a, uh, um, some stuff like Oprah and stuff. He's he's a you know he's a counselor and he's trying to help us build like a, a, a like a gaming lifestyle and esports curriculum that we can we can use with people. I mean, I'm I'm not really on, as much on the competitive side, but I will say that uh, I th I think you have a really good question, and there is a problem right now where a lot of I mean the, the average age of an esports player is pretty low when you end up retiring, and then a lot of them don't end up going to college because they become great at the game at 16, 17, whatever it is. Um, and I know that it sounds like, can we offer some professional services to get them skills and things like that? A lot of those players don't have time. 
for that kind of thing. On the, even and that would basically be another job on the side. And so, in my opinion, I think one of the best things that orgs could do is figure out a what they want to do afterwards, and if they have a dream, and, and kind of help them determine that. I know that there are a lot of esports players that would love to actually go back to college after they're done with their careers, and I think that esports orgs could be better at helping them achieve that. Right, basically saying, hey, where do you want to go to school? Okay, great, we have connections there. Or hey. This is what you're going to need to do, basically getting them services to help them figure that out. And if they don't want to go back to school, obviously, as Greg said, kind of bringing them into the org is a pretty natural thing. Or if they want to become a coach, that's pretty common or a content creator. But if they are looking to do more professional services or even work in esports, uh, I do think there's a, a bunch of ways that orgs can help after a career. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you very much for coming out to speak. Um, I'm currently a student inside of eSports. Um, and so my last year, I've been trying to find a way to actually pursue my career path inside of it. But as more schools are becoming eSports centric and more students are graduating every single year, it's starting to become more of an oversaturated market of students trying to go out and try to find jobs. So kind of a two-parter, the first part is that if I'm an eSports student trying to find a job, is there any specific trait that any job would be looking for. And the second part would be, is there a certain sect of the esports industry that could use a bit more love? <laughs> and I definitely have thoughts, but I don't know if you guys... The, the first trait that comes to mind is persistence. You know, I'm, I teach esports at the University of California, Irvine. I help my students every semester find jobs. And I can tell you, after that first intro, 90% of them don't follow up with the people I've put them in contact with. Uh, How long did it take me to hire you, Jimmy? It took Paul, who's my boss right here, three years to hire me. <laughs> and that's because every few months I would stay in front of him. I would share commentary or my thoughts on the show and, and why I thought or my perspective. And I would also share what I was up to and ask for his opinion on it. So, you know, you, you don't eat the fruit the same day you plant the seed. Similarly, the same day you meet someone isn't necessarily the day that it's going to turn into your big break. The difference between everyone is just some people stick with it and others give up too soon. Also, don't be afraid to get experience outside of esports. I, I talk with so many, you know, college graduates. They want to join OTK. They want to help out. And I'm like, unfortunately, you just have a degree, which is fantastic. But you need that raw experience. Don't be afraid to, you know, get involved in school clubs. That usually helps a lot. And then, you know, there's tons of small organizations that you can find on like Twitter, you know, gaming groups. Empower those into, you know, groups, be a part of that, gave that experience, network, and you'll thrive. Yeah, I, I'll just add that I don't think it's like, a, there's no secret sauce here. It's getting in front of people, being persistent. Um, I will say you've picked the most exciting industry on the planet that everyone wants to be a part of. And so it's going to be competitive. The good news is literally every gaming organization of any kind, whether it's a publisher, a team, everyone's hiring right now. Like literally everyone's hiring. So. Um, it's just how do you stand out and being persistent and, you know, getting in front of the right people. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. It's funny. I was here at the last one in 2020. Yes. And I agreed with you that Stadia was going to die. I was we right. we were both wrong. <laughs> we were both wrong? I, well, it's... How many people are Stadia subscribers? <laughs> yes. I don't know how wrong I was, but okay. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, my question, um, and perhaps I'm simply uh, a vastly misinformed individual, um, 
is that one of the most interesting things that I've seen lately uh, is organizations like FaZe and 100 Thieves, which I tend to perceive as sort of leaders in the content space that connects more to the mainstream content that you'll see in sort of like 18 to 24 um, year olds. Uh, they've worked with um, mainstream music artists and just gone out and the most recent thing that I've seen is 100 Thieves just made a music video that on the surface level seems to have nothing really to do with esports, but it goes under their organization. Um, what do you all think of uh, that sort of content? Does it have a place? Is it a, something that you find interesting or valuable? And is that a trend that you may follow it? Great question, and you get socks for agreeing with me on Stadia. <laughs> yeah, so um, actually... He's a ringer. Um, so, any, so my thoughts on that are, well, obviously I believe in it because I, I helped create that. Um, you know, the, the first time that there was ever, it was really my partner, Clinton Sparks, who brought in, uh, you know, the, the genesis of that is that Yachty and Offset used to always want to uh, game with the FaZe guys when I was co-running FaZe Clan. And then we're like, fuck, let's just recruit these guys. They don't have, so I mean, we, we literally came up with that concept and did it first. And, you know, the reason why I think it makes sense, and we got people like Ben Simmons, and obviously on Xset, we've got Ozuna, we've got Sway Lee, we've got T Grizzly, we've got Ezekiel Elliott, we've got Olympic athletes, you know, we've got a lot of celebrities, and we've got some, an NBA uh, star that we're gonna be announcing this, is that they authentically love gaming, but every minute of like the video, the 100 Thieves video, you know, we have some ideas around doing stuff with music, not necessarily video, but you know, every minute of what we do can't, doesn't always have to be gaming. It's like, it's a lifestyle. It's like part of the culture and it maybe drives a lot of the culture, but there's other times where it's sort of like gaming adjacent, right? It's like people who love the game and then they get together and do other stuff. So what do I think of it? I think it, you know, I think it's good. And I think you're going to see more of that. I think, you know, what I mentioned before, we're, 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 you know, just like, you know, Clinton and I and some other folks really helped break ground when we were phased. We're trying to do even newer things that Xset where we're the gamer in residence. So if you go to Dre's right now, um, you know, we're doing the first thing for the football draft, the first party, and then we're going to have the major launch. All of the cabanas at, at Dre's Beach Club are all Xset now. So like you, you go there any night, it's going to be Xset. There's going to be gaming rigs. There's going to be Xboxes, Playstations, whatever that we were, we're putting in. Um, and you can actually like our pros can come and game with you if you want. We're going to do our, you know, our signings and announcements there. Um, you know, we're going to have competitions there. So gaming is obviously, you know, and people will get drunk too. So, you know, the <laughs> gaming has obviously become, you know, cool enough and mainstream enough that like people go out to nightclubs like shit, I'll come early and I'll game and, 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 and hang out. So I think you're just going to see more of that. One thing I'll just quick thing I'll add. It has been changing over the past few years. It used to be esports teams. Now they're considered esports orgs. And the reason I think for the verbiage change has been because they have been more inclusive than just having a team. It's everything's involved. Almost there is no organization these days that doesn't have content creators doing activations. Uh, you know everything. So. Yeah, so great question, honestly. Um, you'll see a really big shift in the music industry with a lot of up-and-coming artists collaborating with influencers on Twitch. So one of the best ways to be exposed to a new artist is through Twitch. You know, you're listening to, for example, Valkyrie or Kaide listening to Jay Song, and then they're in the music video. You're going to click on the music video. So I think it's going to be a really cool wave of seeing a lot of up-and-coming artists collaborating with these creators to get their music not only just on their streams, but in the music videos and bringing a whole new attention 
you know, a lot of these creators, while they're gamers at heart, they're also just content creators, influencers, personalities, that the same reason, you know, Kim Kardashian is, or, you know, other actors are in music videos, it's the same reason. I think it's awesome, and it's just showing the trend of, you know, all these industries mixing together, and the best people, you know, the smartest combinations executed the best are going to see the best results. So guys, every Wednesday night, the Business of Esports does a live stream. It's 8.30 Eastern time every Wednesday. We do something called a lightning round. We have five minutes left. I see five people, so everyone's going to get exactly a minute to answer their questions here. Go ahead. All right, so picking all up off of where he was talking about music, I really wanted to talk about like how uh, you guys are getting more multifaceted, like game development, metaverse. Uh, and I wanted to ask, would you guys consider digging your, dipping your toes deeper into the music business, like starting a record label, for example, with these artists, or? I, I, I'll take a stab at that. Um, you might, you are starting to see uh, game companies get more involved in music, uh, big picture. Um, I mean, from playlists on Spotify to starting to get more involved in the licensing, uh, it's tricky. There's lots of legal stuff involved in that and business uh, dealings involved in that. Uh, but you're starting to see the trend that way. You saw Riot uh, have a very successful uh, virtual K-pop band. I don't even know what you call it. I mean, they have their own record label. Yeah, basically. yeah. So yeah. Uh, you're going to see more of that, I think, in the game space on the developer side. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, as esports bleeds into age groups that are progressively getting younger, with Gen G being one of the first leaders into the collegiate space in a big way, do you feel that esports orgs stand to benefit to create pathways for younger and younger kids to get into esports and raise the awareness in it? Or is that something that communities should do themselves without the help of the organizations? I mean, obviously, the ideal is that communities would do it themselves, but uh, we also see when there's a need, right? And a lot of the times, I'm talking to a lot of different communities, and while uh, I'm talking to a community, people who are raising up communities, and they're saying, hey, I really want to do this, but I just don't have the money, or I don't have the resources, or I don't know how to do this. So we're really just trying to be a resource and help these communities to kind of build something that they want to do. And we're not going to build it for you, but we will definitely help you do that. And that's just really important to us. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of the pathway to becoming and working in esports and gaming, and that is a pathway to do it and making sure that these communities that do want to have gaming uh, are able to. Great question. Go ahead. Well, first of all, Stadia is a joke. <laughs> I, I wish I had a third pair of socks to give you. <laughs> Uh, but the question is that um, in the future, how prevalent do you think uh, people using in-game assets as legitimate store of value is going to be, and what are some challenges that poses to the developer? Uh, lightning round, more prevalent, uh, and it's going to depend on where you are and the laws and regulations we have in effect at the time, because there's uh, a lot of cart before the horse uh, on some of that, so I think it's kind of... It's trending in the right direction to have more of that, but uh, there's still a lot more work to be done behind the scenes. I mean, my CSGO inventory today is probably worth like 300 grand. So I figured that's like my retirement plan. Um, <laughs> I could see that being a viable uh, retirement planning strategy at some point. Also, go Alphatari. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Go ahead. Um, so I wanted to ask about live esports events, specifically with owners that are trying to treat them like traditional sports events. Like if you look at the Overwatch League, a big problem with the homestand games was the team owners were also traditional sports team owners, and they were trying to treat these live events like they were for traditional sports fans, and it didn't land with a lot of the communities um, that they were serving. I was in a contract with Washington Justice, and the team owner just wanted to bring the mascots in, the DC team, to every game, and everyone was like, what is this? So my question is, how do you think that the owners of esports teams in the future can make these live events more successful and more engaging without defaulting to traditional sports topics? Yes. By the way, the great Holly Peppermint, everyone should go follow her. She makes some content for us, too. Right on. Follow you. Um, so the, um, you know, I think really the, the, the problem with that is that they're like, you know, 80-year-old sports team owners who tried to just copy what they've done, what they're used to in the past, right? And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do, you know, not WWE because it's real, but, you know, to do more fun, more interviews, more... Like there's graphics, there's there's screens, there's a lot of shit you could do, and I think I don't know, I, I don't have all the the roadmap of what I think it should be, but it really should be different. It should be feel like different. It should move different. It should be quicker. Um, there should be if there's a mascot, it should be the mascot of the team, not the mascot of someone else's team. It's not a marketing, you know, it's not a marketing uh, ploy for you know other professional sports teams. If you treat it that way, then the fans aren't going to appreciate that, you know. So. I do think they, they have to think, rethink how they do land events and make them, you know, more fun, more exciting, and more, um, you know, take advantage of the digital nature to do more, more stuff, you know, when the when people aren't gaming on the screens. I think a way to do that too is to engage fans a little bit better. And I say that with a caveat: it's not that every esports organization should go out to fans and say, "What exactly do you want?" and then try to make that happen because that would never work. But I think that there's a chance to go to fans and kind of crowdsource really creative ideas and provide opportunities for fan engagement that orgs might not have thought of before. Um, and so I think that really turning to the fans and like looking for those experiences. Holly, as someone who worked with the DC Justice, I'm sure you could give them a lot of good advice. Um, and But kind of pulling together a little bit more sources of information, again, with caution, but noting that fans could have really creative and innovative ideas for engagement. I know it's our time, but we leave no man behind. That's right. Last question here. Thank you. Uh, one, uh, just to follow up what she said, uh, I think the only people that did anything good with that idea was uh, Dallas when they had the in-home versus games between Houston and the uh, Fuel. So that was one of the better things about that. But my question is more on the back side of things. Uh, one of the biggest things that I've ever noticed when it comes to esports in general is that um, there's been a separation between esports and FGC. And there's also a lack of communication on both sides from the lower side and the higher side. So my question for you is, do you think there is a difference between FGC and esports in general? And what would you try to do to fix the, what I would say the terms of um, communication and like kind of trickle down to build up to get more information and more connections so people can reach to other people quickly or more easily to build up, build up more connections and uh, opportunities. Yeah, I, I think it's just um, we need to empower more of the FGC leaders like, for example, Ludwig, Panda Gaming Global, and help them 
create awesome stuff and keep that communication flowing. Um, same thing with what Moist Critical is doing with Moist Esports. You know, Empower, get that out there. Also, you know, Smash is big, Evo. Uh, I think Evo was acquired recently by RTS, so they're going to be doing a bunch of big stuff. I think it's more so FGC was so reliant on in-person events and COVID kind of hurt it, honestly, where most of the other games could be played online. I think there's going to be a big resurgence. It's just going to be a little bit of time. And I know there's so many passionate community members that are growing and getting bigger. They're going to invest in it. It's just going to take a little bit of time, but it's coming. I can promise you. <laughs> Guys, thank you for all the great questions. Steven, thank you. Jimmy, thank you. Thomas, Lindsay, Julian, Greg, thank you guys, uh, everybody. Thank you all of you for coming. Um, make sure you subscribe to the Business of Esports. Follow us everywhere. We put out content, tons of content every week. Really appreciate you guys coming. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Business of Esports podcast. Check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on Twitter at BizEsports. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.